0: You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Late last year, I had a minor health incident. I had a fibroid, which meant one day out of nowhere, I started hemorrhaging. I didn't know what was happening. It was totally freaking me out. And there was, you know, as you would expect, lots of blood through it all. I was trying to act normally around my kids because I didn't want to freak them out while I was freaking out, basically. Um, This incident led to surgery. And so because I was going to hospital, I had to have a conversation about what was really going on. But what do you do when no one knows what's going on, that you know you're unwell, but you don't know what's happening? The doctors can't give you an answer. How do you talk to your kids when you're scared as well? Kate Brown is a friend of mine who has gone through and is going through her own serious health scare. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in June last year when her girls were 9 and 12. Hi, Kate. How are you? Hello.
1: Thanks for having me on. A
0: pleasure. We normally are talking about products. This is a little bit more intimate.
1: Yeah. It's not quite the same as products and kids' bank accounts, but no no, no less interesting or or valuable to share, hopefully. Well,
0: well, I did open it up by talking about my own experience hemorrhaging. It's true. We're we're right there in it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. How did you find out you had breast cancer?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll start by saying um, I'm 48, which, you know, I, I walk around going, well, sorry, I was 48 then, and I'm, oh, I'm so old. Uh, <laughs> but it turns out I'm still quite young in the breast cancer world. So I wasn't like at mammogram stage yet. For most Australian women, if they don't have a family history, you start all that when you're 50. I had a scan for something else. And um, while I was having the scan, it didn't even occur to me that, you know, I didn't think about breast cancer. I wasn't really thinking about anything except getting back to work. And I had my scan and I left. And then I got a call from the scanning place saying, could you come back? And I mean, naively at the time, I was like, oh, really? Like, I'm just really busy at the moment. Like, I don't know if I can come back. And they said, oh, the doctor really wants to see you. And suddenly I thought, oh, God. Oh, shit. So off I went and multiple people were coming in. And finally, they started asking me, have you ever been in a car crash and hit your chest? And I looked at the doctor and said, have you found something? And he said, yes. So that that was one part of it. Then you get told, oh, it's probably nothing. 80% of things found in your breast are benign. So they said, you need a biopsy. So I went and had a biopsy and that involves quite big needles being shot in and that was a bit traumatic. But again, I was like, oh, you know, 80% of these are fine. Then you have to wait for the results. And my results took six days to come back. And I was at work. Um, again, I think in denial. And I walked out of a, quite a long meeting and I looked at my phone. I had five missed calls from my GP and my heart just fell through the floor because I just knew your doctor doesn't call you five times in a row, um, if at all. And when I called her back, she, she said, you need to come in. I'm going to stay back as late as I need to for you to get here and you need to bring someone. Oh, dear. <sighs> and then she actually said, it's not good. Oh, God. Yeah. So I kind of went into autopilot and I rang my husband. Actually, I went into mum mode. I my, my my girls needed to be picked up and I started to say to the doctor, but my girls need to get picked up. And she's like, you just you bring your husband. Like... Oh, okay. So Ed, uh, my husband, managed to get the girls to to stay with the after school care people while we went to the doctor and it was just surreal. And then she just said to me, you've got breast cancer. And I almost started laughing and she said, that's not unusual because you're sort of in shock. And I then said to her, I feel fine. And she's like, yeah, that's shock. You'll probably feel different tomorrow. But one of the greatest things, I, I was so lucky to have a good GP because yeah. she said to Ed and myself, because we were both in shock, what are you going to tell the kids? And I was so glad she did that because it hadn't actually occurred to me. And I said, what do you think I should tell them? And she said, I think you should tell them because you won't be able to fake it and you just have to tell them we don't know what's happening yet.
0: Yeah. That's tough. Um, do you think if she hadn't said that you would have done that anyway? Or would your inclination have been to try and protect them from it? Like I was saying with my minor health yeah. concern, I was just like, I don't want them to see this. It'll upset
1: them. And that's your first instinct, I think, as a parent, as a mum. I probably would have done the same. It was quite surprising. It was funny. Yeah. If she, The fact she just brought it up, it hadn't, it hadn't even occurred to me because I think my mind had just gone, I'm not going to say a word. And so I thought, okay, I'll take her advice on board. And that's what we did.
0: How do you deliver that kind of information to children? Because mm. I reflect on my own childhood. Whenever we got some sad or hard news, it was always prefaced with, we have to talk and you'd sit down and yes. face each other. And you, you're already panicking just from the fact that oh, everyone's so serious. So true. Yeah. Um how, how? What was it like? How
1: did you manage it? I think, I think what happened is when we picked them up, they got in the car, and I remember it was dark because it was winter time, and um, they Ed went in and picked them up, and they just blurted out what's happening, and I just said they think I've got breast cancer. I just blurted it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were still following your know, doctor's advice. I was. Um, and they were like, oh, oh, you know, what does that mean? Okay, I think my daughters are really different. One is very. Bit of a dark horse and very quiet. The other one's totally out there. So I think Ivy, my eldest, who's a dark horse, was like, okay. And my little one was in a panic. But also being children, I mean, and this is worth mentioning, (laughs) we got home and immediately I think they started fighting about what they were going to have for dinner. And so, (laughs) you know, part of me was like, hang on a minute, like, you know, my world's just imploded. But in another way, like in, in hindsight, it just, Reminds you how resilient kids are, and also yeah. how you know it, at that age kids do primarily think about themselves, but I know when when my mum used to get migraines, and I was quite a little mummy's girl, I remember just being terrified whenever my mum was sick, yeah, partly I think because my dad had to look after us, he wasn't half as good as like my partner is, but <laughs> also I just be, I remember it's a really um it's like a really primal fear I guess you know it's yeah. biological and your mother's sick it's very scary yeah yeah and,
0: and it's also I mean apart from your own fear of your own mortality I think when you become a mother you become aware of well what will their world be like if I'm not here
1: that's right and, because and there's that fear is so ingrained that you know I just the idea of my girl's getting older and moving out, even though I joke that I can't wait. You know, the mm. idea that they're their own people is still not fully formed in my mind. Um yeah. The other thing that I suddenly realized a few days later, which was an extra just, you know, crappy cherry on the top, is like I have two daughters. I've gifted them the um. breast cancer well, not gene. Mine isn't genetic, but if you have a matriarchal history of breast cancer, I, I have effectively doomed them to a lifetime of scans and tests. They'll have yeah. to be hypervigilant.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But then, of course, you had no control over it. So I didn't. Yeah, really but, you know, get mumps and guilt are entwined. Things that go hand in hand. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: You and I have talked over mm. this period, over this very long year, and the diagnosis is one thing working out the right treatment was another, and it was a very long and confusing and emotionally distressing process yeah I know when something stressful is happening at work or something's bothering me, I have way less patience with my own children. did you find it affected you that way all that intent because for them they're like, oh, mum's getting on with dealing with it yeah, whereas you're you you know that. Actually I have no answers yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was um that's such a good point, Chev, and and everyone that had had breast cancer and gosh, it was depressing and heartening to discover how many women I knew had had it, including um, a work colleague who does my job in the US and I messaged her to let her know and she just wrote back going that was me three years ago you know which I mean in a way we're incredibly close now but mm. oh what a club to be in but that all told me like the the treatment is the easier bit believe it or not mm. because you know what's there's a timeline you know what's happening yes you run in with doctors and you've got to work out what's going to happen but once you know that that was in hindsight, didn't feel like it at the time. Actually, the easiest bit. The bit that really sucked is what no one ever really tells you, which is when all that's over and you're just left in the ruins. Now, that can, when I say ruins, that can be psychologically. Um, physically, I was very fortunate I didn't have chemo. I was very close to needing chemo, and then a test showed that I didn't. I, I count myself very lucky. I did have radiation, and my surgery triggered a whole lot of side effects. So my arm doesn't work properly and may not for another two years and is really painful. Mm. Um, You have a lot of knock-on effects. And I think doctors do downplay that possibly because they don't want to freak you out. But I think there's this expectation, you know, when you finish your treatment, there's a bell on the wall and you ring it and you're like, yeah. And I was like, woohoo, I've kicked cancer's ass. Like now Mm. I'm ready for my, my life. And four weeks later, you know, I think I was like, massively depressed, my shoulder flared up. I was actually in more pain. And because it wasn't fatal, you don't have that immediate sort of medical support. And that's where – I think that's really where things fell apart with me and my girls. I was so embattled and in so much pain and so damn tired. Yeah, I had nothing in the tank for them, nothing yeah. at all. And I remember seeing a psychologist – um, both of my daughters are seeing psychologists now. It's all come from the cancer – my younger daughter and, and the psychologist in the first meeting asked, um, asked Poppy, what do mum and dad do in their spare time? Which I was laughing at. I mean, what parent has spare time? Yeah. <laughs> but Poppy mimed Ed, my husband, cooking and cleaning. And then, <laughs> then when she was asked about me, she mimed me lying on my back on my bed. Oh. And it simultaneously made me laugh and broke my heart because it was true. Yeah. Probably for five or six months afterwards. Whenever I could, because I was still working, I mm. would just be lying on my bed in pain, exhausted, depressed. And not knowing, they're not knowing yeah. about
0: how to fix that shoulder or, and also the frustration when you're a, a mum who is yes. go, go, go. Yes. Everything is productive. Everything is looking after others. Yeah. It's
1: it must be incredibly hard to oh, go. I, I felt like I had the energy of an eighty year old. When I mean, before that I'd been always very fit and well and mm. strong and you know, mums are strong and mums are physical and right down to like because my, my um arm doesn't work and was so painful I couldn't even open the car door. I couldn't pick I mean, they're too big to pick up, but I couldn't pick up a bag. I couldn't mm. you know, even if they were being naughty or I wanted to take something, you know, an iPad off Poppy, I couldn't do it. And um this huge appreciation now for, you know, people that do um, have a disability or have a body that doesn't do what they want it to do. I yeah. realised how lucky I'd been for all that time, to be honest. Yeah. But it is very confronting. And I think as you get older and, like, your own experience, suddenly your body's not doing what it's meant to do. No. It's not bouncing back. I joke that, you know, my boobs tried to kill me. but <laughs> And they did, (laughs) you know, and that feels like a betrayal. Your own body is, and it's such a, you know, it's, it's so challenging anyway, but on top of that, when you are as a parent expected just to give and give and give, Mm -hmm. you can't be tired. You can't be clock off. That was very hard. And for me, mental bandwidth, I didn't have much to give them because I really was just kind of coping. I was just barely coping, barely coping myself, and so I think for parents who suffer from any kind of illness um, or chronic illness, it's it's bloody hard, really yeah. hard.
0: Just going back to you mm. you said that the girls are now seeing a counsellor, mm. and that's come from your mm. cancer experience. God, that's not even the right words. I know, it? Experience, like you went <laughs> cancer experience. Yes. Come along and or a find journey, out. Like a reality TV show. <laughs> it is a journey. That situation. Mm. Um, What was it that you did? You um, did someone else suggest that? Mm. Did the girls do anything that made you think you need to talk to someone? I mean, how did that come about? Cancer has long
1: tentacles. I've realised, and like I said, that I don't want to be make light of it. But the first bit was wasn't easy, but it was easy. I had a lot of support. My employers were incredible. I had lovely friends, including you, um, uh, you know, who would check in on me, drop food off, take the girls. Um, it was sort of when things went back to normal and I wasn't really okay. And that's also when the chickens came home to roost for the girls. So my oldest daughter had often given me the impression she hadn't even noticed I had cancer and that hurt a little bit, but I was also like, oh, well, good on her. for. Yeah. Living her life and it was, she was in year six and then one of her friend's mums told me that she'd been standing in their kitchen sobbing, Aww. which broke my heart because I actually, I actually stupidly had sort of assumed she was okay. Yeah. And she so wasn't. Yeah. But she was taking it out of the house because that's the kind of girl Aww. she is. My little one, she has ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and she has a lot of impulse control issues anyway. And she also has, now they think after the cancer, oppositional defiance disorder. Oh, God. Which is often manifested from being anxious. Mm. But when you're anxious in her world, you act like the biggest, pardon my French, pain in the ass. <laughs> because any attention is better than none.
0: Yeah. And
1: uh, it's awful to say, but she would sometimes to, to get some kind of rise out, she'd be like, I hope your cancer comes back. <gasps> like.
0: No. Which is it's awful. Kate. It's very hard to
1: love, you know. And our yes. our psych was like, you have to pretend it's like Tourette's. Like, she doesn't mean it. She's just trying to get a reaction. Yeah. But that really, that really hurts. Oh, And God, she And yeah. um, she would never let me out of her sight. She moved into the bed. She used to sleep holding on to me. Mm. And part of me was heartbroken and part of me was like, oh, I just, I need you to get out of my face. Yeah. Yeah, so for us it really... really about six months after my recovery, you know, my recovery, Mm. that's what happened. And this is now I understand why they say like cancer affects, it has this ripple effect, you know, Mm. and it's affected my relationship with my partner as well. He's exhausted. He's Mm. had to do all the parenting and look after me. And manage his own concerns. His own concerns. Mm. And, um, you know, it's, that's, what's so devastating about cancer, I think. And, um, You know, it it affects so many people in your circle. And I saw a psychiatrist at the cancer hospital I was at, and she said this, she said, you'd be amazed at how many bad things happen when someone gets cancer. And she said, like, I can't explain why, but she just said, it's almost like your routine's out the window. So she's like, literally, like, your partner might get hit by a car because they're worrying about you and they're somewhere unfamiliar and they dart out on the road or (laughs) something happens to your child or... Um and Hopefully it's so this was after. <laughs> this is after <laughs> not um, before and you're yeah. thinking awesome. Exactly, because she said, Oh, so many because I came in going just like, did someone put a curse on me? Because just bad things happen one after the other, like really yes. rapidly.
0: Yes.
1: And I realised when she said that, yeah, that's so true, because you've all been doing the you know, a routine and that is just fundamentally changed. And yes. so yeah, both girls started showing us their wounds, I guess, in different ways. My daughter started U7, oh, and, we had, and just as I started to pull out a little, the pandemic hit. So it's, yeah, it, it's been very, very tricky. Um, yeah, so my older daughter, she's very anxious, yes. um, which she'd never been. She'd always been the easygoing child, the one that easily made friends. She's at high school, nine months out during lockdown um, in Sydney, having anxiety attacks, which just, you know, I was like, that's not her. Yeah, but that just shows how much stuff she was pushing down. Yeah. Um, and bless her. Like, I genuinely think, you know, she wanted to keep it out of the family dynamic. A uh, little small one, you know, is just, it just weighs on her mind. And um, I forget. I, I, uh, Ed, my partner said one day, oh, I've got, um, Poppy, we've got some really bad news. And she just went white and she said, is your cancer back? And my husband went, "Oh no, um, I can't get you into tennis camp next week." Oh God, week. And I was like, oh, he and I both just went, "Oh, like, you've you just... got to be so careful because you know, a few years yep. ago maybe that was bad news, but not anymore." Mm. And little minds hold on to stuff in different ways. And I actually asked Poppy before I came in here, and I said, "What would you like to say?" And She was like, you know, she's 18 months in now. She's like, well, you know, like, I like to think everything's going to be okay. But it is, you know, I I do worry, you know. And so little people have big thoughts and and no context.
0: And um, we're here now and you're always a very articulate person anyway. Um, I'd like to think I'm articulate. But I, I would think in that situation I would find it very difficult to find mm. the right words yeah. for them because, yeah. as, as we know, you still have to go back for scans. You still mm. have things come up that can't be explained. Totally. So
1: when Poppy says that to you, do you know how to respond? I said to her today, actually, Shev, it was interesting. I said, you know what? I said, like, there's still things we have to keep an eye on. I said, but I think, I think it's going to be Okay. Yeah. But I feel I feel really bad because I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Breast cancer has good survival rates now, but mm-hmm. it's still very serious. And I'd like to say that, you know, I was a great mum and I explained things. You know, it's awful. I think I was so so cranky and grumpy. And that's sad too. Like I don't want them their core memory of me at this time in their lives to be the really cranky woman in the front room lying on the bed (laughs) and I I was and I still am um someone actually said to me you know once you've had cancer it's a bit like being followed around by a sniper it's behind you or on you all the time now the bullet might never may never come out or it may you don't know when you don't know where and that I think I've only just come to terms with recently, again, because there is so much emphasis on finishing your treatment or being a survivor or kicking cancer's ass. And that's just not what it's about. You know, Mm -hmm. it's actually about learning to live with, you know, that that something could go wrong. Equally it couldn't. So you walk a line between not wanting to be a drama queen, but also, you know, I, I, I had my anniversary scan um, a couple of months ago and generally most women I know that have had breast cancer have got told, there's no cancer, it's fine. I didn't. I got a call saying, we've found something. And, you know, I just thought, are you serious? No, oh, come on, no. And that really, that hit me harder than probably anything that's happened, because I felt like I've got nothing left in the tank. Is this how it's going to be every year? And with this thing, it's it's not super serious because if it was, they would have acted on it. But what's happened is four and a half months down the track, there's the, my my team is still trying to work out what they want to do. Oh, God. Which means I think I've had seven or eight scans, full body scans. And I, I never used to be a hypochondriac, but you have a scan, you're like, oh, oh my God, what are they going to find? Biopsies that where they couldn't hit what they wanted to. Every frown on every doctor's face, you're, you fast forward the movie to... the worst possible scenario and that is worse than not knowing Mm. because at least when you know what you're dealing with there's a plan and I think that's where it really messes with your head and I through the day I often forget about it Mm. and then at three o'clock I'll wake up and go oh that's right and even on a practical level you go can I plan time off could I take this new job offer could I oh, hang on, I don't know if I have cancer or not. I don't know if I'm going to have another operation. And there is a point I can see, I've always been very pro-science and pro-medicine, but I can see how people reject medicine. And I'm not (laughs) advocating doing that. I'm just saying I've started to understand. Because a lot of doctors, they're really great at treating the issue at hand, but not the person attached to it. Yes. And it can be very easy to get upset and feel just like another number on the list. Because you are. But it is high stakes.
0: And so, as you said then, you've been waiting four and a half months. Yeah. Is there any end in sight? I,
1: I have become a massive proponent of the second opinion, again, which is something I would never have done in the past, Um and I do worry. I think, you know, I speak English well. I'm articulate. I'm My background is as a journalist, so I'm good at research. And I felt quite bamboozled by a lot of the things I was told by doctors. What I've learned is often if you get a second opinion, you're told something completely different, which is alarming. Mm. Um, but which is why I recommend it. I've actually swapped hospitals and specialists. One of my specialists was at a different hospital um, and they have picked it up, this issue up. And because it isn't urgent they're on holidays. So I now have to wait (laughs) till February. Um, Wow! And it's hard, you know. um, But also for women or anyone who has cancer, you know, and depending what stage you're at, this is, you have to kind of metabolize it and live with it. And it does make me laugh what used to worry me a few years ago. On the upside, it makes you quite brave because you think, well, I guess for me in the last few years, my mum died and I had cancer. My mum died from cancer and I had to go to the same hospital as her, which was just a massive kick to the guts. But in a way, I think, well, short of losing one of my children, I, I feel like the worst possible things have already happened. So I feel mm. braver so, in so some there ways. So might
0: be a, a nudie swim in your future?
1: Or... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never wanted to jump out of a plane, but now I'm just like, ah, <laughs> why, why not? <laughs> Um, I think a nudie well, swim. Is probably, a Maybe little I'll bit. start with a nudie swim. <laughs> <laughs> I know you'll hold me through it. I can't believe I just said that on air. Um, yeah, it's
0: it's there. It's in the it's in the record exactly. Uh, Kate, um, I am holding my breath for, for February, but I think it's. Well thank you good luck. Um, and thank you so much for talking to us mm, today. Thank
1: you. Look, one upside is like the incredible friendships I've made in the last year and a half. It kind of strips away all the superfluous stuff. And mm. you've been an amazing friend to me. Mm. And... Um, yeah, it's um. if you are supporting anyone out there with cancer, you know, um, Sheb has just always let me know she's there for me and kept in touch and it's meant the world to me. So mm. thank you. you
0: see the tears in my eyes above the mask.
1: Above the mask, I know.
0: <laughs> we're, we're wearing <laughs> We are mask. wearing masks. It's very strange. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Sheb. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.